The nothing personal word of the day is suspended. And I'm not saying it as a joke. That's actually the word. And the reason it's the word is something happened yesterday. Tim Ryan is the San Francisco 49ers analyst, radio analyst. And this is, he gave a radio interview, and this is actually what he said. He said that Lamar Jackson's dark skin helped him disguise a dark football when doing fake handoffs. He actually said that. And I'm not talking about Al Campanis or Jimmy the Greek. I'm talking about a current analyst for the San Francisco 49ers. But instead of losing his career, he is suspended for one game. That strikes me as slightly light in terms of the suspension department. It will be interesting to see whether he's welcome back. He did his normal mea culpa. But at the end of the day, will it be enough? It's not the way to see. But Tim Ryan is suspended, and he should have been more than just one game. It's been 24 hours since the news of the Mets being sold. But for whatever reason, everyone is still completely misinformed about what this means. And I want to make sure that I clarify it to all of you Mets fans out there. Because you're hoping right now you're signing Garrett Cole. And behind him, you'll have Strasburg. You're going to have a billionaire owner named Steve Cohn. And it all starts now. No, it doesn't. Here's what's come out since yesterday's news. The first thing is that why is this a story today? What happened yesterday that put this in the news? Well, very simply, someone, and in my opinion, it was Steve Cohn himself, leaked the news that he was increasing his percentage ownership in the New York Mets and that the Wilpons would be selling him the control share and he would take over as Mets owner. But one thing MLB doesn't take kindly to when they're deciding when to approve and how to approve an owner is an owner using the media in order to bring attention to him or herself. So what would be the purpose yesterday before the winter meetings of Steve Cohn saying, yes, I'm going to be the owner and then forcing the Wilpons to make a statement? They didn't want to make a statement. They didn't want to discuss this issue. But they had to tell you that for five years, Fred and Jeff Wilpon will still be running the team. So that can't be good news for Mets fans who wanted them gone. That can't be good news for an increase of payroll next year. Or could it? Let's look at the bright side one time here on Nothing Personal, and let's try to decode these two statements and maybe say why it's possible the Mets are in position to actually have a higher payroll than they did last year, which, by the way, was about $160 million dollars about a hundred million more than Tampa had who played in October. So maybe the timing of this leak before the winter meetings was purposeful. Maybe Steve Cohn is taking over the Mets, not control, but he's doing installment payments, which is what I told you yesterday over a five year period. Let's say he's giving $2 billion to the Wilpons over five years. Let's forget taxes. Let's forget debt. But let's just pretend that they're gonna, there's an extra billion dollars. Over five years, that means $200 million a year may be going to the Wilpons. Is all of that $200 million going to go into this year's payroll? I think not. I think it's far more likely that the Wilpons are doing this to reduce their debt, and it's all part of an estate planning process. So why is it that fans are so desperate to believe that this is the beginning of the turnaround? 
when in fact it could be up to five years. And then after that, you know very well that new owner itis is going to take over. And what new owner itis means is that if you thought the Wilpons were meddling, Steve Cohn is going to make them look like a disinterested ownership group. That's what Steve Cohn is famous for. And he'll acknowledge it. He knows more than we do. Wants to get involved more than anyone ever could. But fans won't mind because if meddling means spending money, that's all that matters. I heard that a lot at David P. Sampson on my Twitter. People wanted me to talk about the level of meddling because I take topics from people and bring them up on nothing personal. When is meddling good? Isn't it just about spending money? Well, no, it's not. The Mets have spent money incorrectly. I would know about that. We spent a lot of money incorrectly back with the Marlins. So it doesn't matter how much money you spend on payroll. It matters you have the right people making the decision. And when you've got a new owner who thinks that he can do it better than anyone else, you can bet one thing is true, that he's not going to bring in a baseball guy and let the baseball guy make every decision and just have a blank checkbook. New owners come in and they believe the way they've run their own businesses is the proper way to run a baseball team. But it's not true. It is completely irrelevant how successful you've been. So mechanically speaking, what you should be waiting for now out in New York, everyone flying the planes with the banners, we got rid of the Wilpons, we've succeeded, it's a new day. You should be paying attention to whether or not Major League Baseball actually votes Steve Cohn to be the control person of the Mets. Because without that vote, Steve Cohn has no control over the Mets. And it's still under the control of of Fred Wilpon and his son, Jeff. Now, MLB may try to pull a fast one and they may do a vote now. But that vote now would not take control away from Fred Wilpon. That's a vote to give Fred Wilpon the comfort that when the time comes to transfer control, Steve Cohn will have the votes. But what could change between a vote now and then a vote later when Steve Cohn takes control? Well, let's just say Steve Cohn has more troubles with his insider trading, with his hedge fund. You know he's had some issues. Let's say Steve Cohn decides that he wants to spend another 155 big ones on a Picasso instead of on a player. Let's say the market goes down. Let's say a recession comes. There are myriad things that can take place when you've got a five-year path to control. So maybe Fred Wilpon doesn't want a full five years. Maybe all of the media hype that is surrounding this issue, maybe all of the pressure and tension brought to bear by the fans will make Fred Wilpon want to make this transaction finish faster. But if it finishes faster, that means Steve Cohn has to come up with all that liquidity earlier. And for him to do it, there could be a liquidity crunch when it comes to actually putting money into payroll. So now we've looked at it from four different angles. And the truth of the matter is every angle looks in the center at the same direction. It's like the movie Now You See Me with everybody looking in the center, except it's a total misdirection because on your left and on your right, they're picking your pocket while you're in a trance. The reality is the news of yesterday was no news. It was just a Thursday or a Wednesday. Today, it's just another Thursday. 
The Mets are in a position where they have to make smart decisions. Trading for Jake Marisnik today, is that a decision that had anything to do with Steve Cohn? No, that had to do with an affordable center field option. That's about it, along with the Astros actually wanting to see if they could cut a little payroll. The Mets are in a position where they're going to stay under the competitive luxury tax threshold. They're happy to pay Jake Marisnik, who's an all-glove, no-hit center fielder, and dovetailing on our segment yesterday, that allows the Mets to actually attach one of their young outfielders to a bad contract in order to shed some bad payroll. So the moral of the Mets story is simple. It's okay to dream. It's okay to hope. But at the end of the day, will anything change? That's a straight wait to see. We had two big announcements yesterday out of baseball off the field as well. The first one came out of Tampa, and the second one came out of Anaheim. Let's start with Anaheim because that one fascinated me. Artie Moreno is the owner of the Anaheim Angels. I call him Anaheim just to give him a little oots. You know it's actually called the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Artie Moreno so badly wanted to be like the Dodgers and wanted to name his team the Los Angeles Angels, except he had a stadium in Anaheim. He had public money from Anaheim. They made him keep Anaheim in the name. So we all approved in Major League Baseball a name change to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So let me set the stage for you at every owner's meeting. Attendance is taken at the beginning to make sure there's enough owners in the room that they can start the meeting. And they go in alphabetical order. And it used to be Anaheim Angels. Then it changed one day. And we voted. And it happened. And so then you hear... Los Angeles Dodgers here, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, actually saying the full name. But Artie Moreno wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to see if he could work more with Anaheim because he was ready to get a new stadium. And I know a thing or two about getting new stadiums. It takes years and it takes a lot of effort. When I started trying to get a new ballpark in Miami, I was actually six foot two, 220. So it was about a 14-inch affair for me in order to secure a ballpark here. From Artie Moreno's standpoint, everyone thinks that he was successful yesterday with the big announcement that he had an agreement with the city of Anaheim to buy the land on which their current stadium sits. And in return for $325 million, he agreed that the team will stay in Anaheim either in the old stadium renovated or in a newly built stadium until 2050. He would not agree to change the name back to the Anaheim Angels. But guess what you didn't read about? What you didn't read about is there was no stadium deal. This was a real estate transaction. What Artie Moreno was successfully able to do is buy the land under which the current stadium sits and the acres of parking around it. Does anyone remember Frank McCourt, the old owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers? He was known as the parking lot man. Why? Because he owned the parking lots around Los Angeles Dodgers Stadium, Chavez Ravine, and it made him a very wealthy man, even more so than the billion-dollar price that he got when selling the Dodgers, more than a billion. So Artie Moreno was doing this as a straight real estate play. He is developing that entire area where the current ballpark sits in Anaheim. You're going to see hotels, apartments, retail. Wait a minute. 
Does any of that sound like baseball? No. Does any of that sound like Garrett Cole? No. Do you know what it does sound like? It sounds like a revenue stream that is not subject to revenue sharing, which means when you're a team that brings in revenue through baseball, you have to share it with people like the Marlins. When you bring in revenue from things that have nothing to do with baseball, you get to keep it for yourself. Does that mean he's going to invest it in players? That's another wait to see. But what I do know is this. When you're thinking that you're going to have a brand new stadium in Anaheim, not so fast, Pedro. What you are going to have is an owner who has varied financial interests in making sure the area around, whether it's an old stadium or new, is generating a ton of activity, interest, and money. But then why isn't Stu Sternberg doing that in Tampa? Stu Sternberg is the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. They used to be the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, but people didn't like the word devil in the name. So there was a vote and it became the Tampa Bay Rays, which is fine because it's still Devil Rays. They still have a tank full of Devil Rays. They still play in the Thunderdome. If you've never heard that word, the Thunderdome, then you've never been to Tropicana Field. It's called the Thunderdome because it's a dome and you, when it thunders, you're scared. You need to find Mark Wahlberg and play the Thunder song. That's how scared it is. That's a Ted movie reference, folks. But why hasn't Stu Sturmberg ever come up with a new ballpark? Because he doesn't want to pay for it. And I don't blame him. Right now, there is no guarantee that there will ever be a new stadium in Tampa or in St. Petersburg, where they currently reside. So what does Stu do? He says he's going to move the team to Montreal but not full-time, only half-time. That was a big announcement last year. It got a ton of media attention. As a matter of fact, the former owners of the Expos when I was there, a man named Stephen Bronfman, who's trying to bring the Expos back, and I told him at the time, it's way more expensive to bring a team back than to pay up to keep a team there. You tell government officials that when you're trying to get money from them. Because at the end of the day, they want a team. So Stephen Bronfman's trying to get a team back in Montreal. He actually went to the World Series, you may recall. It got a lot of attention. That was all purposeful. Another misdirection. There was never a chance, and if you watch CBS Sports HQ, you've heard me talk about it. There was never a chance that Tampa was going to split a season between Tampa in a new ballpark and Montreal in a new ballpark. But in case you don't believe me, which is fine, You'll learn to. The mayor stood up in St. Petersburg and said there will be no splitting of a team until at least 2028. Why does that year mean something? Because 2027 is the final year of the Tampa Bay Rays lease where they currently play. And there is zero motivation for Stu Sternberg to take any action until that lease is over. Because why would he pay a penalty to break the lease? Why would he pay the penalty to break the lease and then put money into a ballpark in a market where he's not sure, I'm not sure, nobody's sure can ever sustain baseball? Is he trying to move the team? Maybe to where he's from in the Northeast. He's going to have to fight with Steve Cohn, the soon-to-be owner of the Mets and the Steinbrenner family, and John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, if he wants to move anywhere in the New Jersey Northeastern Corridor which, by the way, could easily have a third team. 
But the question is, how do you incentivize an owner to actually build a ballpark and contribute his money into it? Well, you have to do a deal like we did in Miami, where the owner puts in about 33%, the public puts in about 66%, and you promise the owner that you will get that money back when the value of your team goes up by more than the amount you put in. It's always an investment. It's not to guarantee more people come. It's to guarantee that more money comes. The Tampa Bay Rays have been the most successful team off the field in terms of wins per dollar. One of my favorite stats. Isn't it always good to have more wins per dollar? Well, from a fan standpoint, they don't care how many dollars it takes to get a win, and they only care if the number of wins gets them all the way to October. So what I'm here interested to tell you is Tampa, the way they're doing it, it works perfectly. And the announcement by the mayor saying that there will not be a team split between Montreal, Tampa, St. Petersburg is completely irrelevant because it was never going to happen. What you should look for is in 2028, a new owner of the Rays and a new stadium outside of Tampa. So you want to talk to Samson? People do. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you if you're watching. I appreciate it if you're listening and subscribing. The five-star ratings are helpful. Following me at David P. Sampson is good. And if you want, you can DM me with a topic. I can't respond to all because we're getting quite a few, but I try. But I get some interesting ones, ones that I think you'll want to listen to and you'll want to watch in here. And the one came yesterday about streaming. Now, can you imagine someone asking a boomer, which I'm not, or a generation, what am I, X or P? I think I'm a generation LPX, XTD. LSP. Well, streaming is exactly how you are watching CBS Sports HQ. Streaming is exactly how you are watching Disney Plus or ESPN Plus or CBS All Access. Streaming is exactly what all of the people under 40 do instead of having cable. Have you heard the expression cord cutting? That literally means cutting your cable cord, but still getting the content you want. This is a huge issue in baseball. Why is that? Because until this year, Major League Baseball owned the streaming rights to every single team's local broadcast. What that means is when I was negotiating a deal with Fox Sports Florida or with anybody who would do a deal with the Marlins to show the games those deals would not include the local rights to stream, which means if you were going to watch, you had to watch through a cable provider. But all of a sudden, the networks who were bidding for rights did not want to pay as much as they were without those local streaming rights because streaming is where the money is. It used to be an equation, one of the things that I would hear all the time, hey, if you don't win games, you're not going to have good TV ratings and you won't get a lot of money for your local TV rights. That is completely incorrect. Did you know that the size of the local TV contract has nothing to do with how many games you win or how many people watch or how many advertisers there are and what their rate is? Nothing to do with it at all. The amount of money paid for teams for their local TV rights is based on the number of subscribers who pay a monthly amount to the provider who is paying the rights fee back to the team. 
let me say it again in half the words, but twice the meaning. It doesn't matter if your team loses a hundo. It doesn't matter if you don't buy Tide when they advertise. What matters is that you are somehow paying the channel who's showing the games, whether it's through a monthly subscription or a a la carte, literally game by game on demand. But if teams couldn't sell that right, then the amount of money they'd receive would go down. So this past year, MLB made a landmark decision that ended up on page three, but should have been page one. Teams, again, have the right to sell their own streaming rights. So what happened? The New York Yankees stood up and said, hello, I'm first. And I'm going to negotiate with Amazon, and I'm going to sell the streaming rights to New York Yankees games so people can watch it on Amazon Prime video. And they are being paid a fortune. Why are they allowed to do it? Because A, MLB changed the rules, and B, they own their network. Their games are shown on a network called the Yes Network. So they have the ability to negotiate exactly what Yes Network gets and exactly what the team gets. That sounds strange, and it is. You've got teams who are self-dealing. Teams who own their own network self-deal all the time, and it is a cause of great consternation to the rest of us who have teams who don't own their own networks, who depend on rights fees in order to be competitive. But the Yankees can stand up and say, hey, Yes Network only pays us $30 million a year for our games, but Amazon pays us $80 million a year for our streaming rights. Or they can do it the other way. They can divide it however they want because they own both sides of the transaction. It's brilliant and good work if you can get it. Now, what does it mean to you that teams are selling their streaming rights? What it means is you are about to become a la carte. That means you don't have to pay for channels you don't want. That's the future. If you want to watch Marlins games, you're going to have to pay to watch Marlins games. But if you don't want to watch Marlins games, why would you pay for that? Have you ever looked at your cable bill? If you have it, have you ever looked at the bundled package that you pay for? They do it in tiers. It's called tiered pricing. Do you ever get frustrated when you don't watch channels that you pay for? Wouldn't it be amazing to just spend money on channels that you actually watch? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen because as consumers, we've spoken and we've said we're done. We will no longer pay for teams that we don't watch and we don't care about. And Major League Baseball used to fight that because the concern was, what if everybody in Florida doesn't want to pay to watch Marlins games? They'd rather just pay to watch Yankee games because they're New Yorkers who move south. And I don't mean Trump. I mean people who come for the summer, the winter, for tax reasons. Whatever it is, they've come, but they bring their Yankee affiliation with them. Well, from my standpoint as a Marlins president, I was vehemently against that because it would cut into our revenue. As the host of Nothing Personal, bring it on. So content is what we're talking about. Content is key. The thing about content is that everybody's looking for it and there's not enough of it. So we're in the content providing business. That's what this is, what you're watching and listening to. I'm trying to provide content that breaks through the noise, that gives you something interesting that you want to hear about. 
Well, other channels are looking for shows as well. And it turns out we have found an area of creating content that already existed, but now we're going to bring it to you. Do you know you can now watch high school basketball on your sports network channel provider, both on the actual cable network and streaming? Why is that? Is it only because Zaire Wade and Bronny James are in high school basketball on the same team? Now, Bronny James, it's LeBron James Jr. Zaire Wade is Dwayne Wade's son. These are top prospects in high school who potentially could go straight to the pros once the NBA changes the rules and doesn't require a one-and-done with Duke, but they allow a Spencer Haywood or a Kobe Bryant going right to NBA, right to the pros. But isn't it fascinating that we have such a craving that we want to watch high schoolers play basketball on our channel? Are we doing that? Are we exploiting them? That's my question for you to think about now. Is it right in the name of content to have cameras and interviews and to make these 17, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds grow up to the point where they become part of social media, they become part of our consciousness on screen. We associate a name with a vision and a picture. What you're probably saying is, they're the children of celebrities. They're used to the spotlight. They already have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. I'm not debating that. I'm asking whether you think it's right. Do you think it makes sense to put that type of pressure on a player? Well, if I'm running a team, I don't know that I want 18-year-olds on my team. There's an occasional 19-year-old, a Robin Yount when he was 19, Miguel Cabrera when he was 20, Juan Soto when he was 19, Kobe Bryant. There are occasionally players who come out who are ready to be professionals. But that doesn't mean that they are scandal-free. It doesn't mean they're emotionally ready. Just because someone can dunk doesn't mean they're ready to take on what it means to be a professional player. I don't like the idea of this type of pressure on high schoolers because it leads to bad things. Here's why. The number of high school basketball players who will have successful NBA careers is de minimis. But the pressure we're going to put on them to make them believe they can do it because they're now going to be social media and TV stars is de maximis. And when you've got a de maximis hit a de minimis, you've got a real problem. So be careful what we wish for in the land of we need more content because we're going to get some content that at the end of the day may simply be another example of exploitation. Chicago, <laughs> I feel badly for you guys in Chicago. I've done a few interviews with the White Sox on the radio. We've talked about Jerry Reinsdorf and his advice to me to finish second all the time. And people went crazy. How could Jerry Reinsdorf want to finish second all the time? Well, it appears to me they keep finishing second when it comes to free agents. Oh, stop. Stop it already. Stop telling me they signed Grandal for four years and that means they finished first. It's easy to finish in first when you overpay in years and money. But it's tough to be a bridesmaid like they were to Zach Wheeler. Rumors are that they offered not 118, but maybe as high as 120 in those five years. Did they do that knowing Wheeler didn't want to play for the White Sox? 
did they do it knowing that Wheeler had already agreed to play for who he believes was a contender? Well, here's the question I have. When you're the Chicago White Sox organization, is it better to be so out in the open about what you're doing? To be so open about your desire to compete, your desire to sign free agents, your desire to be in on everyone. Does that help you actually sign players? No. But it does unrealistically raise expectations for your fan base. And I think we all know what happens when you have unrealistically high expectations. It leads to failure. And it leads to fans being upset that you haven't met your expectations. Now, the White Sox did win a World Series in 2005, but at the end of the day, they have not been successful for, I would say, over a decade. And I know what it means to be unsuccessful for over a decade, and it hurts. And you want to make it better, and you want to make people believe that you're doing things, that you're in it for the big free agents. You don't want to be stealth. You want to be loud. Except being stealth is the smarter way, but it's so hard to be smart when you're getting pressured all the time. When you're reading comments and blogs and Instagram posts and Twitter posts and Facebook and you go to owners meetings and you're embarrassed because you see the number of followers that your team has versus another team, the number of victories you've had over the last decade versus other teams, the number of playoff appearances, the fact of the matter is they have not been in the playoffs since 2008. The Marlins haven't been in the playoffs since 2003. The Mariners, since before that, it's embarrassing when you're with your peers, when you go out to the movies, when you go to community events. Everyone reminds you, yeah, I had a child who's now in college and we never saw a playoff game. For White Sox fans, think about it, in 11 years, that means children were seven years old when the White Sox were in the playoffs and now they're off to college. So they made a decision, they're going to go loud and proud instead of stealth and smart. And what loud and proud leads to is a bunch of second and third place decisions. I love all the sports news we do, but I also love the fact that I get to watch a movie or a show every single day and then tell you about it. Yesterday's movie was difficult. It's on Amazon and it's called The Report with Adam Driver. Yes, that's Adam Driver who's also gonna be and is in Marriage Story. That's Adam Driver, who is in Black KK Klansman. This is not an overnight sensation. This is a gentleman who has built his career and built it brick upon brick. He's not a traditional Tom Cruise looker, right? As a matter of fact, there are people who have actually told me, I won't mention any names, Coca, who have actually told me they can't even watch him in movies. But here's what you can watch, a good movie. The report is about what the CIA did when they covered up the fact that they were torturing prisoners of war when they were trying back in the day, this is back around the Gulf War, when they would actually take in, let's just say, people suspected of terrorism, and they would do things to the terrorists that in the States we would say are completely illegal, and if it ever happened to a United States prisoner of war, we would have a major problem with it like we may want to invade that country. But what the CIA was doing under cover of night is they were waterboarding people, and that was some of the best things they were doing, trying to get them to acknowledge when the next domestic terrorist attack would be. This is a true movie 
about the report that was done by Daniel Jones. Adam Driver plays Daniel Jones, not the quarterback for the Giants, a guy who actually worked in the White House and then worked in the Senate. He worked in a committee under Dianne Feinstein, who was played by Annette Benning. Not the Annette Benning from Bugsy, the Annette Benning from today. Still married to Warren Beatty, might I add. But Annette Benning plays Senator Dianne Feinstein. I think I may have said Linda, but that's Linda Fairstein, the DA. Dianne Feinstein is the senator, of course. And she did an, had Daniel Jones, played by Adam Driver, do an entire, basically a five-year investigation into what was going on. And he discovered it, wrote a report, and when it was finally released, it put the R in dacted. The whole report, all of the interesting findings were all redacted. There was a huge negotiation between the Senate and the federal government, the White House, over what would be redacted and what wouldn't. And at the end of the day, there were so many redactions that the paper, it literally, that's right in your picture. Look at that. How exactly from that piece of paper can we learn anything? It's insane. What's everyone hiding from? Is it national security, what we used to do to people? If we're going to do it to people, why not tell everyone that's what we're doing? If you're going to get caught by the United States, you're going to get terrorized. You're going to get waterboarded. You're going to get tortured. Or are we hiding it? So that's why we redact it. Well, the movie makes you think. So please watch the movie. Enjoy the performance. At No nominations forthcoming. I think Adam Driver could be in line for a nomination for Marriage Story, but that's going to be a different time when we review that. But this is an important film to watch. It flows well. John Hamm is is in it as well for Mad Men, John Hamm, also from Baby Driver. So it's very well cast, very well directed. You may think it's a little dry, but it pays off at the end. The report. We had something called... uh, You know, I can't keep track. I'll just admit it to you. Friday, I think, was called, last Friday, they call it Black Friday. Then they have Cyber Monday, and then Giving Tuesday, and then I think today is Freak Out Thursday, because everyone freaks out that they went through Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, I guess on Monday you break, and then you go to... Cyber Monday, and then you've got uh, Giving Tuesday, and then Wednesday we watch Survivor, and today everyone gets their credit card statement and they completely freak out. So I think it's too much. But something happened on Cyber Monday that is incredibly interesting and incredibly telling. Lamar Jackson. Yes, Lamar Jackson. He is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He's actually going to be the MVP of the NFL. Do you know he outsold every other athlete? And I don't mean football players. Every other athlete, period, in total merchandise on Cyber Monday. That means Lamar Jackson is a solid, solid star. But what was the top-selling item? Would you be shocked to know that a Tom Brady jersey was the highest-selling item on Cyber Monday? Why is that interesting to me? Everyone I talk to hates Tom Brady. They hate the New England Patriots. They can't stand the fact they do all the winning and no losing. But you know what they say? You vote with your pocketbook or your wallet 
or your binder clip or your fingers when you're on Cyber Monday? Well, it turns out that you all voted for Tom Brady. That the most sales were Lamar Jackson, outsold everyone, but the number one item was Tom Brady. So how can that be? How is it that the NFL is so good with these players making sales? And how is it that Lamar Jackson can outsell every athlete, but Tom Jersey, that's the highest item, was his jersey. That's because in baseball and basketball and football, we're selling everything to you. Not just jerseys. We're licensing out coasters, water bottles, socks, Christmas ornaments, blankets. Insert anything you buy. That's what we're going to put our logo on or players are going to put their name image likeness on. Because if you want to buy a jersey, eh, that's nice. But if you, we're going to nickel and dime you to death. We're going to have you spend $4.99 on items, and then we're going to upsell you because you're going to want to buy a Baltimore Ravens or New England Patriots some sort of mug or glass. And we're not going to stop there. We're going to do an entire wine opening set. We're not going to stop there. We're going to do a toiletry kit. Nah, we're not stopping there. We're going to have you buy clothing that you'll never wear. And then we're going to change the logo and make you buy it again. That's what we do. That's what sports does. But don't worry. Don't be angry. It's not just sports. It's everything you love. Every store you love. How good do you feel when you have these sales, the Cyber Monday sales? You feel good about it, right? Well, why do you think stores do it? Because you buy things that you wouldn't ordinarily buy, and you do it because they're on sale, but you never focus on the following fact. Let's pretend you're buying a $10 item, and it's on sale, 25% off Cyber Monday. Hooray! $7.50. Guess what? You wouldn't have bought that $7.50 item to begin with because it's not a $7.50 item. It's likely a $5 item. It should be called Cyber Monday, which is we're going to overcharge by 200%, but you're going to buy it. Do you ever feel badly when you're going to a store and you buy stuff right at the checkout line? Like the grocery store for those who don't buy groceries online anymore or the department store? Why do people put items right there? It's called impulse buys. It's sort of like this. If you're, if you're watching, this is what it is. Uh, uh, uh. If you're not watching, I just hooked myself. That's what we're doing. We're hooking you, the consumer, into buying more. If you own a small business, medium business, or large business, you know what I'm talking about because you do it too. Yet for whatever reason, it's okay when you do it, but when it gets done to you, you say, no way, I wasn't hooked. I wanted to buy that extra necklace that was at the checkout place. I wanted to get three extra magazines and two packs of gum and a $4 soda that was in the little tiny fridge as I'm checking out because for whatever reason, I'm thirsty. So in sports, these players know this. And what players do is they try to find more and more items to sell to you. My favorite story about this is Ichiro. Do you know that Ichiro has deals where he gets paid to sign things, things that you wouldn't even imagine get signed? And the way Ichiro does it is he comes to the ballpark on off days and takes over an entire room in the clubhouse 
And there are piles of balls, bats, helmets, bobbleheads, jersey numbers, socks, shoes, anything you can think of, sweatbands, headbands, underwear, anything you can think of, sunglasses. And Ichiro sits there with a smile, with people watching because they get authenticated, with a buffet of food to feed all the workers who were there watching this happen and handing him one item at a time. He has a lineup of pens, signs, 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 nothing but signing. I don't blame Ichiro. I love you, Ichiro. I love you, Philip Morris. I really do. But he's doing it because there's a demand. There's a demand from people like you and me who want Ichiro to sign an item so we can have it to feel closer to our favorite athletes. It's why Lamar Jackson is going to sign a huge memorabilia deal. It's why Tom Brady and the best players have these deals. What's the downside? When players don't sign autographs to a fan who walks up to them on the street because they say, hey, I've got a deal. Most players don't do it. Ichiro never did that. He'd always sign extra for anyone who wanted. But at the end of the day, he knew that his bread was buttered and his plane was paid for by the deal that he cut to sign anything that had a flat surface. So I had an opportunity running a team for 18 years to get a lot of gifts and I enjoyed getting gifts and I would keep maybe 5% of them. And if you're listening and watching and paying attention, you may be upset by that. But I want you to picture going to three or four events every single day for 18 years and getting something at that event. You can't possibly keep it all. You'd be a hoarder. Well, yesterday, something happened that I loved. Lamar Jackson and the Archdiocese of Baltimore gave a jersey to the Pope. Pope Francis got a jersey with his name on it with Lamar Jackson's number eight, and it was signed by Jim Harbaugh, the coach, and Lamar Jackson. They did a jersey presentation. Do you think there's a chance that Pope Francis is going to frame that jersey and put it up in his apartment or in the Vatican? Do you think that he's upset that it was signed by Jim Harbaugh instead of John, who's the coach of the Ravens? Well, I think that John Harbaugh probably signed it, and I think Pope Francis couldn't care less. He's never heard of the Harbaugh brothers. He's never heard of Lamar Jackson because he's got other things to deal with, like scandals and religion. So what he did with that jersey that he got from the Archdiocese, this is a free wait to see. It didn't make it back to the Vatican. It didn't make it out of the room. He gave it right back to the archdiocese who are going to frame it and display it as a jersey that was touched by Pope Francis. And that's a very, very common thing. The Pope gets gifts left, right, and center. He doesn't have wall space in the tiny place that he lives or in the large place that he works. So I'm giving you a way to see that it doesn't make it out of Baltimore. And I'm already taking credit that it's a yes, because that to me is a full-fledged guarantee. These pick of the days, folks, I, I hope you're paying attention. Even if you don't gamble, you should start because it's, it's getting legal. No need to read a Supreme Court decision. There's a way to legally bet in certain states. Last night was a give me. We had the Celtics beating the Heat, an absolute give me. Remember the Heat were coming through customs in Toronto? 
total letdown, second game of a back-to-back. Well, tonight we've got Thursday night football. You have to bet the game because you're going to watch it. You're watching the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys. And you're thinking to yourself, slam dunk, Cowboys. No chance, folks. The slam dunk is actually taking the Bears and the points. The level of distraction that surrounds the Dallas Cowboys right now, it's off the charts. Jerry Jones has put his team in a position where they cannot get out of their own way. They're scared every play. Jason Garrett holds the clipboard so tightly that his knuckles are white. Prescott is so worried about his long-term contract, can't throw a spiral straight. Elliott is so concerned about how he's going to look when his helmet's off that he doesn't realize you've got to gain yards and get some wins in order to actually become famous and rich. So from my perspective, when I see Cowboys minus three, I don't care that the Bears have a problem and that Matt Nagy's giving me more material than anyone but Jerry Jones since I started this show. I'm definitely taking the Bears, and that's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.